Why do you exist? Why were you even born? And like, maybe not even like, you think, maybe those are like, but it's like the same question. I'm asking like, why were you born in that zip code? Like, why were you born in that time, at that, to that family? Why do you live where you live? Why, what's going on with all of that? Is there something significant maybe today that we ought to come to know or to grasp or to see that God maybe wants us to recognize, to be revealed about who He is and what's going on in this Word? Some of these are some of the most important questions of life, right? Why am I here? Like, why do I exist? Why this family? Why me? Why these circumstances? Why this period of history, right? I could have been born back in the... In, this day and age, why now? Or why? What's going on with that? Right? And so sometimes we're, we're asking difficult questions. And, and let's be honest, I don't know about you, but most often in my life, I have to clean the front windshield of my car more than I do the rearview mirror. Is that true for you? Right? It's the bugs that hit the front windshield, right? I mean, that's how life happens, isn't it? Uh, it was one of the, the great philosophers who said that life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. There's something about perspective. There's something about time that allows us to say, okay, I didn't get that in the moment, but now I'm starting to see there's a really big picture at work here. And so you and I have those moments in life where the front windshield of our lives is, man, things are just colliding with us, right? It's just boom, boom, this moment, that phone call, this situation, where we are in this relationship, the, the, the diagnoses that we're hearing. All these things are colliding with our lives. And if we're not really careful... We can get lost in that and try to view it from our own lens. And so today, what I want to offer you and I is an opportunity to say, how does God look at life? What's God's view of why you exist and why you are who you are and where you are and why you were born when you were born and who you were born to? Some of the most important questions that maybe you've been after. Let's just for a moment just say, God, what's your perspective on this? And I'm going to tell you, as we walk through today, today's text is pretty weighty. We're going to be doggy paddling out to the deep end. I don't have answers for everything. I can't explain why those people died when they died. I can't explain why you've experienced that diagnosis or that thing has happened or that relationship looks like it does. I don't have all the answers for maybe why you've never had children. We're going to deal with some of those things today. I can't answer why you experienced those miscarriages or or the many number of things that have happened. There's some challenges today, but I want us to look today in Acts 17, two verses we're going to try to look at. Acts 17, verse 26 and 27, to answer the question of why do I exist and why was I born? Or why am I here? All right, so let's get to it. Acts 17, remember Paul is there in Athens and and he's shown up and, and he's been brought before the Areopagus. Remember last week we talked about it? Those were the elite people in that day and time, these great Greek thinkers. He's in Athens, Greece. Um, it's on a place called Mars Hill. And, and he is beginning to share and to talk with these folks um, about who this unknown God is. Remember that Paul traveled through their city and he found a statue that said to an unknown God. And Paul says, this unknown God, I'm going to proclaim to you and tell you who he is. And so he began to share about who God was. And we saw the beauty of that last week. And he He's continuing up, um, talking here in verse 26, and he says in Acts 17, verse 26, and he, speaking about, again, this unknown God, he's describing God. He says, and he made from one man, all right, so see that statement there, one man comes every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So, from one man... Right? He's, again, who's made it? He says, well, actually, this is God that's made it, right? So God's doing, doing the making. He's made from one man every nation 
to live on all the face of the earth. Now, at the very beginning, if you're looking for some application right there, it kind of ends racism. Because the reality is you and I all came from the same person. Now, we may have different pigments of skin. Our, our facial structures may look differently. There may be some biological differences in the way we look and the way we are. These people from that culture or that part of the world. But listen, the truth is we all came from one person. In fact, you're going to see, um, probably not this week, but next week, is that you are you and everybody else is made in God's image. So racism really is an indictment on God. And you're really talking about your own family because you and I were all from one man. That being Adam. I don't have time today, but mark it down. Romans 5, verses 12 through 18 talks about how we were all from one man. And so this explains, all right, if you walk through it very deep at all, this one man that we came from, Adam and Eve back in the garden, explains how we all became sinners. That they were in paradise in the Garden of Eden and there was no sin there, but they chose to disobey God and eat from the tree of the what? The knowledge of good and evil, right? And they ate of that, and the curse came, and now death came into the picture. And, and then, therefore, everybody else that they were created after them, right? That were now born, were born with sin natures, and they were sinners by choice, and we were corrupt, and that we no longer desired to follow God and obey Him. And, and so, this one man, every nation comes, all the nations, every person, except for one, Christ. And Romans 5 puts this difference between, he says there's a first Adam, but there's also a second Adam. And that, that this, this old man, Adam, yeah, you came from him and you had a sin nature because of him and, and you inherited that and you're a sinner by nature, a sinner by choice, yeah. But I want you to know there's also a new one that came. And he came born of the Holy Spirit. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. That you could receive forgiveness. That you could receive redemption. That you could actually start with a new creation. That you could become renewed on the inside. That that could become now who you are. And that you could have an eternal destiny to be with God forever. And so Paul is talking here about this one man, Adam. And he says, listen, every nation of mankind is there. Watch what happens here, though. He says, listen, and this is kind of where we're going to get to today and deal a lot with this, this, this statement right here. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And here, this, this is big, okay? I've had probably about a month to deal with this, and so you're starting to deal with it and process it just in these few moments, unless you've read through this text much before. This is challenging, okay? So I just want to tell you, we're, we're doggy paddling again to the deep end together. It says that this God, this unknown God, has actually determined some things. And what is that? He says, well, he's determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And you say, well, Whose allotted periods has he determined? Well, you notice there, he uses there, and there ultimately points back to the fact of every nation. Paul makes a really, really big statement here. Again, this is like, if you want to get like a God-sized view of the world and what's happening, Paul's going to lay it out before you. He says, listen, God has determined the allotted periods for every nation. Now, there's some disagreement on exactly how you interpret this. Um, the ESV that you're reading from today is more of a literal um, or kind of following the Greek. Um, the Hebrew would be the Old Testament there, Aramaic and the Old Testament. It would follow pretty strictly on what's the text actually saying, right? So if we looked at some of the old ancient manuscripts and the original languages, let's follow that. So at times, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes the ESV, um, New American Standard, King James, others are kind of sometimes hard to read. Like, what are they saying there? But... Some translations, if you begin to move down the continuum, so if you have like, here's what God's Word literally says in those original manuscripts, and here's these translations that follow really close to that, okay? 
Then as you move down the continuum, there's others that say, okay, here's what God's Word's saying, but we want to say it in a way that's faithful to the original text, but also helps people understand what's being said. So then you begin to arrive at places like the New International Version or like the New Living Translation. And why do I bring that up? Because the New Living Translation renders this text by saying this, that God has determined beforehand when they should rise and fall. And I believe that text really gets to the heart of what's being said here. This is big. Paul is saying that God has decided when nations would rise and when nations would fall. I don't know about you, but like, this is big. It's like, what? Look, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Daniel says, and he's there in Babylon, the, the Israelite people have been exiled into Babylon. And he said, look what he says in Daniel 2, verse 21. He says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. In fact, Daniel will go so far to look the most powerful man on the face of the earth, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the ruling empire in that day and time. He looks this guy in the face and he says, listen, King Neb, I want you to know this. Verse 25 of Daniel 4, the most high God, he's sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. He gives them to anyone he wishes. And Paul's saying here, guys, listen, I want you guys to know that, yeah, you may think, well, this nation's doing that, or they came on the scene and they were so powerful. We look back to the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians. What's going on right now with ISIS and all these things? He says, I want you guys really to see, you great Greek thinkers, you Stoics, you Epicureans, you Areopagus, you elite of elite. I want you to know that you guys think you know all of this, but there's actually a God that's in charge of all of He's in charge of all this. And not only that, look what he says. Second statement. He determined the allotted periods or when nations would rise and fall. And then secondly, look what he says there again. Again, God has determined what? Well, he says God's determined the boundaries. Look at that right there. That boundaries of their dwelling place. Again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about every nation. Again, we have that statement there. He says, I want you to know that God's not only decided when nations would rise and fall, but God's told nations how far they would go. This is big for a moment. Again, I've been dealing with it for some while. I've been wrestling. How does this balance free will, sin, all the things that are happening, and who God is? He says, listen, I, I want you guys to know that God's actually in charge. He's actually ruling and reigning. This, this God that we just sang, the choir was just pumping out. I mean, I didn't want to break you guys, but I wanted to stand up and shout, Hallelujah! He is still on the throne. I don't know about you, but man, I was, I was stoked as they were singing that. I was stoked as the praise team was singing that there's heaven's mercy seat. That there was the mercy seat of God. And guess what? There's the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, He sits on the throne declaring, My sacrifice was sufficient. That's my Savior on the throne. I praise the Lord for that, that there is a God who is that mighty and that powerful. You see the picture there? That's my boys in the back seat. And we roll three wide. I don't know how many of you watch NASCAR, but um, how many of you like it when they get three wide or four wide? You like that, right? You can raise your hand. Yeah, any of you like that? You like it, right, when that happens. And usually, right, you hear this, this, this little colloquial statement that rubbing is what? Rubbin's racing, right? And so you get three wide, four wide. That's what happens. Guess what Rubbin's racing is in our back seat all the time. 
Right, there are three wide and literally car seat bumps, it, it meets up to car seat. And so I don't know if you remember like a time when you were a kid or when you had children or maybe grandkids or what it looked like for you. But you probably had moments when you were back there, if you had any siblings, when you heard that statement, don't what? Don't touch him. Don't touch her. But man, like when you're literally your car seat's touching, usually what happens is, and some of you, you were this brother or sister, is when they gave you the rule that you couldn't touch them, then you started looking at them. They're like, he's looking at me. He's breathing my direction, right? I mean, you have these statements where you start to, to fight. And as parents, we do our best to say, don't look, don't talk, right? Don't you just look straight ahead. Don't you touch him. Don't you, uh-uh, don't touch that. It's not yours. Keep your hand on your own car seat. Keep your foot on your own car seat. I want you to know that there's a God that's actually so big that he can tell nations, that's enough. Your time's finished. He can keep them in their seat. He can keep nations where they belong. He can say, you, you, you know what? Hitler, your time is done. Now again, we see the response of humanity and God using uh, all, all the forces and people coming together to oppose evil. Absolutely, there's a working of man in that. But I want you to know that Paul is saying, listen, guys, there is boundaries of our dwelling places. God has said, listen, that is far enough. Now listen, this is where it starts to get like even personal and we have to start to really deal. And you, again, these are going to be like front windshield things. Like they're going to start colliding with you if they haven't already. So do people comprise nations? They do, right? So to some extent, when we read this, we have to say that there's also, for you and I, there's allotted periods and there's distinct boundaries. Case in point. How many of you in here decided when you were born? No. How many of you in here decided where you were born? How many of you in here got to pick to who you were born? So somebody made that decision. Whether you think that was your parents or you think you, you leave everything to fate or that's just happen chance. Paul's going to start to tell you and I, and the Scripture's going to point to the fact, in a moment, we're just going to walk and say, listen, there's a God who is at work in deciding when you were born, where you were born, to who you were born. There's a God that's at work. And I want you to see this. As much as it may be tough to digest in a moment, there's going to come a beautiful moment if you'll stay with us. So let's deal with some difficult statements today. Like this. Who decided when you were born? The day of your birth. Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance or my unformed body. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So look what he says. He says, God, you, you've got a book and there's some things written in it. And what's written in it are actually the days, every one of them, that are mine. Before even one of them came to be, he says, God, you already knew. God, you, you already knew when I was going to be born. Ultimately, this gives the entire timeline of your life. He says, God, you already know that. Secondly, look back here in the same passage, Acts 17, verse 25. He says, I want you guys to know that there's a God who gives life to all mankind. He gives life and breath and everything. That God is in charge of that. Now, some of you, I know you're here today, and you think that you were an accident. You were an accident, maybe because your parents hooked up at some point in college or whenever, and, and that's just kind of how things played out. 
Or maybe you think you're an accident because all of your siblings or everybody else was really old in your family and you're like way separated in the timeline from them. And there's like the joke, like when you walk in at Thanksgiving or Christmas, like, hey, there's the accident. Or... You mark it here. You are not an accident. You were and are not a mistake. God decreed and decided for you to be formed in your mother's womb. Despite all the things around it that may have happened. There is a God who created you, who loves you so much that He would send His Son to die for you. You aren't an accident. You may be the late bloomer. You may have been early on the scene. You may not know your family. Things may not be very good for you. And you say, Blake, I don't really like this today. Blake, because you don't know about my family. You don't know about a dad that was never there or a mom that didn't love me or you don't know about what it was like. So if there's a God that actually decided that, that's not a God I want to worship and serve. What kind of God is that? That he would If he's so loving, like if he's so good, then why would he let me be born in that family? No dad or maybe no mom or maybe I, I don't know for you. Those are hard. I don't have a lot of good rebuttal other than this. I might just present this to you. Psalm 27, verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will what? The Lord will take you in. Some of you, you feel unloved, unwanted. I see the tears coming down your faces. You know this too well. This is you. That describes your DNA. I want you to know that you may feel unloved by your family, that they never accepted you or welcomed you in, or you're still an outsider even today. I want you to know there's a God who says, I want you. I'll take you. You'll be mine. They may not want you, but I want you. I created you. You weren't an accident. You weren't a mistake. You're mine. You're mine. Your life is not, it's not over. It's not ruined. So again, those are hard statements. But you're not a mistake and you're not an accident. So there's a God who's decided the day of when you will be born. But maybe we've got to ask another question. If God's appointing these periods of time when nations would rise and fall, and He's determined the allotted boundaries of their dwelling places, saying that you could only come this far. Is God who also decided the day I was going to be born, is He also in charge of when I die? Job chapter 14. Job 14, verse 5. We hear from the Word of God these words. Since His days are determined. Days determined. And the number of His months is with you. And you have appointed His limits. That He cannot what? Can't pass. He says, listen. I want you to know there's a God who's in charge. And no matter how large you may you may ram that door, you may say, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to climb the wall, I'm going to live forever. He says, listen, I want you to know that there's a God who's actually set limits. And He's decreed it and He's saying, listen, it's appointed and nobody can pass it. No matter how much you try to elude it, no matter how much you try to mask it on with, with whatever you're trying to do to cover it up, 
He says, listen, those days are determined and no one can pass. Second example, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol or the grave and He raises up. What's interesting about Job 14, verse 5, and 1 Samuel 2 is the stories that are behind them. You most likely know the story of Job, but if you don't, just really briefly, I would tell you that Job knows a lot about death. For in Job chapter 1, we read that Job had seven sons and three daughters, and on the same day, all ten of them are gone. And here he is in chapter 14 of Job, verse 5, and saying, God, I don't understand it. Why? Job deals a lot with that. Read the book of Job. He's asking, why, where are you, God? If I could just meet with you, God! Pray, where are why, why? God finally shows up and speaks. But Job says, listen, I have to realize that there's a God who's in charge of this. As much as I may not understand it, as much as I may not like it, and then 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2, these are the words of a woman that's praying and praising God in the temple. Her name is Hannah. Hannah has brought her little boy Samuel to the temple. And Samuel has just been weaned. And she is dedicating Samuel to the Lord. And he's going to serve there with the, with the priest Eli. But what you may not know about Hannah's story here, this lady that says the Lord kills and he brings to life, is that 1 Samuel chapter 1 Verse 16 describes Hannah as a woman of great anguish and grief. You say, why is that, Blake? Well, because verse 5 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel would tell us that her womb, the Lord had closed it. And then we hear, as if it's almost like this refrain, almost this mocking maybe of what Hannah most likely dealt with and you most likely deal with with your struggles and the areas in which you can't change things or you feel, is verse 6 repeats that again by saying, and the Lord had closed her womb. Undoubtedly, Hannah lived in a culture where she was realizing, everybody realized she didn't have any kids. And it brought great anguish and great grief on her life. And what some of you today, why, why I share that story intentionally is this. Because some of you hear this today and you may think, well, if God's just decreed and God's just planned everything, then what's the point of me doing anything? Guess what Hannah does? She prays and cries out to God and God hears and gives her a child. So don't hear the text today and think, well, if God's just determined, decided all this stuff, then maybe I shouldn't do anything. That's not the biblical example. You and I are to be responsive to God. We are to cry out to God. We are to plead and intercede for God. Just because God's determined your days doesn't mean that you should stop eating today, right? I mean, that would be foolish. Like, well, I'm just going to live however long God wants me to live, so I'm just not going to eat. Or, you know what? I mean, if God says I'm going to live for however long, I can drink and drive and, and just, it'll be whatever. That is foolish. That is contrary to biblical wisdom. So today, if you're here and your heart is aching over something, cry out to God. Pray to God. God, in using His, His divine plan, you are involved in it. He's responsive. He has got a God that's distant or he's on continual naps and says, just take a message for me. He's the God that invites you to come. So what about that? So we have our, our birth and our death, but what about the middle? Like, What about today? Is God in charge of today? What's happening here and now? Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in your hand. And then one that provides great clarity, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, and here's a statement I want to just kind of let you draw your attention to. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So what's that look like, Blake? i got a four-year-old that over the past several weeks, he's been dealing with the fact that he's afraid I'm going to die. To the point that we crawl up in the bed and he's crying. Daddy, you're going to die. You're going to go be with granddaddy. You're going to be gone. And as much as I want to say, daddy's not leaving, daddy's not going anywhere, I realize that only if the Lord wills can I live. And so I've got to try to explain to a four-year-old that daddy's not actually in charge. Do I hope that I live here till I'm old and graying and see him and see maybe great-grandchildren if God wills? Absolutely. But I've got to let him know that he's got to entrust a God that he can't see that is greater than his dad. There's a God that's worthy of his allegiance. There's a God who is so great and so in control that he'll be there even when dad's not there. Whether I've gone to be with the Lord or he's off somewhere else doing something, there's a God who is with him, who is worthy of his worship. So, our daily living, if the Lord wills, we will live. So might we want to ask Paul now, why Paul? Why is God, why is God so involved in all this? Right, like I mean, why is God determining like when nations rise and fall? Why is God deciding that only nations can only come this far, and this nation is here, and this nation's here, and all these things throughout history have been happening? I mean, why is God doing that? I don't know if you're you're there. Maybe it's just quiet today. You're like you don't like it. You're like I, this. I don't think I want a God like that. I want you to see this, and this is what's just been overwhelming my soul. Is this next statement that begins to say, "Wow." Okay, as much as my humanity may resist a God who seems that big and great, I've got to realize who this God is. Look what he says here, back in Acts 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And then this statement, that they should Seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Paul says, I want you to know why nations have risen and fallen. I want you to know why there's dwelling places only this far. I want you to begin to understand why you were born when you were born. I want you to understand why you were born where you were born. I want you to understand why you were born to whom you were born. I want you to start to see this. And he says, here's the reason. That you and all nations should seek God and find Him. And as much as you may resist all the other stuff we've been dealing with, get a big view picture of that. There's a God who loves you so much that He intentionally puts you where He puts you, allows you to be born when you were born to that family. Why? Because He knew in His great love and His love for you that you in that place and time that you might seek God and find Him. But take that for a moment. If that's true for the nations and it's true for those great Greek thinkers and all of those here on Mars Hill, it's only true for you. It's true like for everybody. 
Like all of a sudden now, like, okay, so in this job and the people that are around me on my job site, like this isn't accidental. Like they are where they are that they might seek God and find Him. And guess who God is going to intend to use? You! That you're not in that family for happen chance? That those people that pass you across your path that day, it's not just by like a quinky dink? That God is at work bringing the things to life, the good, the bad. He's using it all that people should seek Him and find Him. Why? Because God desires that none should perish and all should come to repentance. That God, according to Peter, is patient, not willing that any should suffer, but all come to know Him, all come to genuine repentance and belief in His Son. That there's a God who's been working throughout history all this stuff so that people would actually seek Him and find Him. So the reality is, as much as you may not like where you were born or when you were born or to who you were born or where you are, where your zip code is, God in His great love is using all that that you would seek Him and find Him. That doesn't wash away all the other stuff. It doesn't. It doesn't make it disappear. Of like, why wasn't my family there? Or why did we have to go through this? Or why... I can't explain a lot of that. Other than just saying, I want you to see who God is today. And He's using all of that, even the evil in your life, that you would seek Him and find Him. And it's not only for you, it's for everybody. That's God's plan. That's Paul speaking there to the Areopagus. God's will, God's desire. It's far enough for today. We're going to pick up if the Lord wills. And this text again in a few weeks. You'd say, Blake, if that's God's plan, that I would seek God and find Him. If so many things in my life, things that maybe are out of my control or bad things, they've all been working that I would seek God and find Him. Then what do I need to do? Here's some even greater news. Jesus said that He came to seek and to save the lost. He says, listen, I, I want you guys to realize that our desire as humanity isn't even to seek God. We just don't have that desire. But because of my great love for you, I've sent my Son for you. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that He sent His one and only Son, that if you would believe in Him, you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. This God who first loved us, therefore we love Him. This God who demonstrated His own love for us, according to Romans 5 and 8, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This God is seeking after you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That old hymn that we sing. For He sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. There's a desire of God that He would save you. That you would come to know Him and His Son in a personal way. That God loves you so much that everything that's been happening from ages past to ages future, God is orchestrating and planning. Why? So that you and I would seek Him and find Him. So why do you exist? That you would seek God and find Him. Why were you born? Where you were born? Why the zip code? Why all these things? 
Well, man's free will to decide in, in many things. But above it all, there's a great God who's using everything to draw you to Him. That you would be saved. Even being here today, not an accident, right? Even being here today, not an accident. The love of God for you. For you. Think about it just for a moment. The love of God for you. No matter what you've been through, what you've gone, God is at work that you and your children, the people on your job, the people in this community, the people across the world, that they would seek God and find Him. Have you done that? Have you found God yet? Are you seeking? The Lord says you will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all of your heart. Today, will you seek after the Lord? Like, how do I seek God? By acknowledging your need for His Son. Acknowledging that you have a desperate need of a Savior. That the love of God towards you is so great that you realize you need forgiveness. You need grace. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't buy God's forgiveness just in His love for you. Would you acknowledge that, that you need that? God, I need you. I need to be forgiven, God. I'm unclean, God. Cleanse me, Lord. You need it. I need it. Everyone you know needs it. Let's pray, Father. Lord, I pray now that you would help us see how great you are. And that your greatness is intentional. Things are not by chance, no matter how bad or evil they may seem, God. That you're using it, that people would seek you and find you. God, it doesn't mean that we understand everything here and now, God. Lord, help us see who You are through all that we experience and the suffering of this world. Lord, I pray for some Hannahs in this place that wouldn't hear this message and sit on their hands and say, well, I'm just going to do nothing. I pray that they would say, wow, there's a God who loves me, who sought me, who is intentional. God, I'm reaching out to You, crying out to You for, for my own life, for my salvation, God, for that of my family, my friends, for health concerns, maybe for a barren womb. God, I pray today that people would respond to You in ways beyond anything I can ask or imagine in this place. Thank You, Lord, for Your Son. Thank You for His death for our sins. Thank You for the hope that Christ has brought. Thank You, God, for forgiveness. Love You, Lord. We ask this in Your Son's holy name. Amen.
this morning and love to talk and pray with you more. Do you know Christ? Do you see how everything is at work? That you should seek God. That you're not here by chance today. That there's a God who loves you. That you would seek Him and find Him. things. Come and fall to your knees and worship. Come take some